Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. to the book of Revelation as we continue our study in the book of Revelation and we uh, we didn't quite finish up the message from last week on on the church in Pergamum but um, we will also incorporate into into the message today we're looking at the the message of the church of Thyatira and that's um, chapter 2 verses 18 uh, through 29 18 through 29. So let's begin there. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father in heaven, we come to you again. We ask that you speak to our hearts. Illuminate our understanding. Help us, O Lord, to see, to hear. Help us to understand your word. And then, Father, help us to proclaim 
for the lost and dying humanity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the historical background here of the church located in Thyatira, and like the other uh, churches, located in what is today modern Turkey, on the eastern, uh, the western side of, of Turkey, approximately 30 miles southeast of uh, Pergamos, known for trade guilds, and uh, you might not be familiar with that term, but like unions. Today we have unions, and we still have a certain, certain uh, guilds, but they had all of these different trade guilds there, and that's what, uh, what Thyatira was known for. But each one of those guilds was dedicated or devoted to a particular false god or idol. And it created a real situation for the Christians because you basically had to swear allegiance to one of these false gods to get, uh, you know, to be a part of one of these guilds and to reap the benefits. So they were basically hit in the pocketbook. And um, Perga, um, uh, well, Pergamus was a, a, uh, a city that had all of these, these temples and such. Thyatira was considered of the seven to be the most insignificant and the smallest of the cities. Very, very small. And yet, when you read through the seven letters to the, to the churches, even though it's the smallest city, it has the longest message. If you look at, at the, uh, the size or the length of the letters that are written to each one of the seven um, churches, it actually has the largest, even though it's, it's uh, the smallest. And it was established sometime in the, in the first century uh, we really don't know who or what group. There's the thought that perhaps some of the people that uh, Paul had preached uh, to in, uh, in Philippi uh, and other places may have made their way uh, there. Um, Thyatira was also known for this purple dye. It was called Turkey Red, uh, but it was a purple dye, and um, many uh, merchants would come through to purchase uh, this this dye. The uh, congregation, like the others, was made up of a mixture of, of both uh, Gentile and Jewish believers. And uh, when people hear that today, they're, they're surprised by that. But remember that the first century church was made up primarily of Jewish believers. And then, as, uh, as the apostles went out and as the Christians went out and uh, shared the gospel message, they shared it with both Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. Um, of course, Gentiles are, you know, that, that group makes up all kinds of various uh, ethnic groups. As a matter of fact, when the scripture uses the term nations, it's actually the Greek word ethnoi, where we get the word ethnic. And um, I've mentioned before that uh, people, especially in the US, they, mis uh, they misunderstand that word ethnic. They think it only refers to you know, to certain groups of people. No, it refers to all groups. So when Jesus uh, said to go into all the nations, what he was saying was, is take the gospel to all ethnic groups because we are all of various ethnic cultures and backgrounds and blood. The reputation of the church, though, which is really uh, interesting, 
is that it was a growing church. He said that their, their works, their, their works, the last were more than the first. So in other words, they were actually progressing. Now, there's a positive side and a negative side to the, to the way you define this word progressivism, okay? They were progressing, that is, they were growing, and they were actually doing more work. They were doing more things for the Lord as time passed. And they were very different from Ephesus. If you recall the message to the church in Ephesus, they had lost their first love. But the church here in Thyatira loved the Lord. They were a growing church, they were a hard-working church, and they loved the Lord. Yet, yet, even though they were faithful to the Lord, there were some within the church who were overly tolerant. And there, there is the danger and a mis misuse of the word progressivism. The idea of being tolerant. God is never tolerant of sin. Never make this mistake. The Bible says God hates sin. That is a strong word. He hates sin. And we are actually commanded to hate it as well. That's why when a Christian says, well, you know, that's so-and-so's business. Yes, it is so-and-so's business. But the Christian is supposed to stand up and call it out for what it is. Very, very clearly. But the church here in Thyatira, even though they were hardworking, notice this, they were hardworking, and they were loving, they were kind, they were, you know, good people, faithful, yet they were overly tolerant and as a result of that, many of them became corrupt. Corrupt. Corrupt to the point that, that the Lord says some things. These things says the Son of God. Now he calls himself the Son of God. The only place in the book of Revelation where he calls himself the Son of God. Now we know that he is the Son of God and there are people who say, well Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. I don't know what Bible they're reading. <laughs> All through the scripture, he's referred to as the Son of God. He's God's only Son. Now, we're children of God, but not in the sense that Jesus is the Son of God, because Jesus is God the Son. All right? We, we know that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three yet one. Now the, the JWs or the Jehovah Witnesses say that Christians believe in three gods. No, we don't believe in three gods. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. There has only ever been one God. There will ever only be one God. And he has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God. You see, because one of these guilds, one of these guilds was dedicated to Apollo, supposedly the, the son of Zeus. And so there, Apollo was referred to as the Son of God. Now Jesus says no. Speaking of himself, I am the Son of God. There is no other Son of God. Of God. You follow? 
So he's, he's communicating specifically to these, to these Christians, to these believers there in the city, in the church of Thyatira. And then he goes on and he says, with eyes like a flame of fire. Fire and brass, all that speaks of judgment, but it speaks also of, of purification. Purification. Over in the book of Jeremiah, the crying prophet, when he preached to, to Israel, he said, he said, the nation has become so, so corrupt, so sinful, that it no longer even blushes. It no longer even blushes at the idea of the various sins that are committed in the land. And everything that they show on TV and the movies and you name it, and, and the way that they talk and the things that they show. And they want you to believe, that, well, that, that's just the way life is. Well, it might be that way in certain people's lives, but it's not supposed to be that way. It is not supposed to be that way. Fire and brass. See, fire was used there in Thyatira as they worked with the various metals and elements and would melt them down and then shape them into various objects to sell. But Jesus is talking about the fire, the purity. And you see that, that brass and the altar. Judgment. He says, I know your works, the last are more than the first. And prayerfully and hopefully that, that will be said of us when we leave this life and go into the next. And hopefully we'll hear those words. Welcome, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. Well, he goes on. Now he, he compliments them. He compliments them again for their, for their work, for their love, for the fact that they're growing, and they're faithful to him, but, but also within the congregation at the church, there are those who have become corrupt. They've compromised, they've become intolerant and too accepting of the world. Holding on to the world while holding on to Christ. He says, I have a few things against you. You allow Jezebel. Now, how many of you would name your daughter Jezebel? <laughs> All right. Jezebel. Come from the Old Testament. Jezebel was married to one of the kings of Israel. His name was Ahab. He was, if not the worst, he was one of the worst, most wicked, evil kings. And he was, he was childish as well. <laughs> there was this man who had, a, who had a, his, his home and, and um, uh, land. He had a vineyard there. And recall that, that when the Israelites came in, each family was given a portion of land and a home in which to live. And that was to be their ancestral home for eternity. All right? <laughs> okay. And the king's palace basically 
was right next door. And every day when the king would come home, he'd look over there, and the land was so pretty with all of this, the vineyards and the trees and the lush greenery. He wanted it. So he went over there and he asked the guy if he, if he would sell it to him. He said, no, no. And so one day, Jezebel comes home, and there Ahab is sulking and crying and complaining. I want that land, and he won't sell it to me. He won't sell it to me. And she says, are you the king or, or not? In other words, you're the king, take it from him. And basically what happened was is they, they took his life and took his land. Kind of like what goes on today. Yeah? Yeah, we, we need to take your property. It doesn't matter that it's been in your family for the last 50 years because we want to put a roadway there. It's going to, be, it's going to benefit the whole city. And we'll give you what we think it's worth. Not what you think it's worth, but what we think it's worth. That goes on all the time. I remember I went and spoke on behalf of, of a particular area here. And as I was speaking to the, to the city council, and I said, well, you know, this property has been with this family for decades. And they said, well, but Pastor, you, you would agree there's a certain price that has to be paid for progress. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Some prices are too high to pay. And instead of positive progress, well, what do we have in America today? What do we have? Now, stop for a moment and consider, how wise is it to, to, to really create a city that, that's right next to a large body of water, but the city is several feet below sea level? I mean, really, stop for a moment and think that one through. Think it through. Jezebel. Now, what, what Jezebel, Jezebel was a false priestess. And Ahab, and the Bible teaches that we are not to marry someone who is an unbeliever. Because the unbeliever will turn your heart away from the Lord. And all too often, you know, these young ladies, they'll say, well, yeah, but you know, um, uh, I, I can win him. And now in some cases, that happens. But in many cases, it doesn't. And in this case, Ahab, even though he was wicked to begin with, he became even more wicked. And, and Jezebel was a, was a priestess, and she led Israel into idolatry. It's called spiritual adultery. That's why when the Lord spoke to Israel, he referred to her as an adulteress. Because she went a-whoring after false idols and false gods. And so there in, in Thyatira, there was some woman like this Jezebel of the Old Testament, who was leading people in the church away from the truth. Perhaps she was saying, well, you know what, it's okay. You go ahead and become a part of the guild so that, so that you have money in your pocket and you're able to pay your bills. And it's okay. It's okay. You can live as a Christian and you can participate in all that other stuff too. It's okay. God understands. 
Yeah, he understands all that. He understands. That's what you have going on across America and around the world today. All of these false prophets and prophetesses. And we've said this before. God is not confused. He created male and female. Male and female. The male is to father. The female is to mother. The father is not the mother and the mother is not the father. You say, well, you know, she's, she's a single mom. And we, we talked a little bit about that last week. Having had several different men and all these children from several different men, that is never right. Unless, of course, she married one and then he died and then she married another one and he died and then she married another one and he died. You follow? But not opening her door and her bed to every guy that came along. No. It's never been right. And it is not right today. But our country, our country has made it easy. Yeah, our country has made it easy for someone to live that way or to choose that kind of lifestyle. The scripture teaches that a person who doesn't work shouldn't eat. They don't like to quote that verse. Jezebel is alive today. Jezebel is alive today, preaching that message, that message of immorality, that, that it doesn't matter. Christians are not supposed to live together without being married. When you take a stand, then all of a sudden they say, you're pointing the, the judgmental finger. Notice what Jesus said. Now, I didn't write this. I didn't write this. He says in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Maybe, 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 that's a reference to venereal disease and the, and the suffering that comes with that. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. You notice that's the sweet, loving, kind, tender Jesus speaking. Because that's how the world likes to, they like to talk about Jesus, the Jesus that is so sweet and so kind and so loving. Why? He's the one who walks around with the sheep, you know, draped around his neck and on his shoulder. Wouldn't hurt a fly. That's the Jesus that is speaking here. You understand? Yes, he is a God of love, but he is also a God of judgment. Make no mistake about it. God is going to judge this human race. That judgment is coming. And the Bible teaches that it begins in the household of God. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of how we have lived our lives, how and what we have done with what we have been given. Now, praise to God. Jesus paid the price at the cross for our sin. 
And when we entrust our lives to him, we're saved. And that, sa that salvation is eternal. It's never described as, as, as temporal. It's always described as eternal. But we will be judged. And we will receive reward. And we will also lose rewards in heaven. For what we've done and what we have not done. Because there are sins of commission things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, and there are sins of omission, things that we should have done that we did not do, that we refused to do. False doctrine. She taught false doctrine. Jezebel brought false doctrine into Israel. And throughout our churches and colleges and seminaries, there's so much false doctrine. There are those who now teach, oh, that the Bible is, is filled with all kinds of mistakes, etc., etc. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's wickedness. That's evil. It's wrong. God is perfect, and his word is perfect. It's wrong to commit sexual immorality. Yeah, there are, there are denominations that call themselves Christian, but now they have homosexuals and uh, lesbians, etc. And, uh, you, you know, in, in the ministry. No. In, in Bible times, those people would not be allowed to live. Yeah, then, then you, have, uh, you have people in, in politics in, here in, the, in America, and they want to talk about the peaceful religion of Islam. Okay. The peaceful religion of Islam. But even in Islam, they discover that someone is, uh, you know, a, a homosexual or a lesbian. Guess what happens to them? They hang them. They hang them. Yeah, and their their prisons, their prisons, you know, in contrast to ours, are not designed to make people wealthy. You say what? Yeah, the privatization of prisons in America is another means or machine that's been used by the wealthy to become even more wealthy. Yeah. Idol worship. We have idol worship right here in the United States of America. A whole bunch of that going on. Uh, a whole bunch of that went on yesterday. Right? Oh, it's the fall. Oh, don't step on my toes now because I'm... You know, I'm a fan of football. Yeah. Repent or else. Notice that. Repent or else. And he, he says this to both Pergamum and to, to the church in Thyatira. He says, I will come to you. He's going to come and he's going to judge. He's going to judge. Hold them accountable. The sword of my mouth. What is the sword of the Lord's mouth? The word of God. Over in the book of Ephesians, it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then over in the book of Hebrews, right, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. Nothing is hid or hidden from the sight of God, from those, those eyes, those purifying, flaming eyes of the Lord. Nothing, nothing is hidden. 
And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Spiritual discernment. God's children are to be people who have the wisdom of discernment. And that wisdom comes from God the Holy Spirit. It comes from spending time communing with him. Prayer is not a one-way street. You know, most people pray this way. They tell God what to do. Isn't that right? You stop for a moment and think about how you pray and how you, how you tell him what he needs to do. And what did Jesus say about prayer? Well, he said many things. But one thing he said was, before you even open your mouth, your father already knows. Right? Before the word is even formed on your tongue, the father already knows. He already knows because he knows everything. He knows everything. Nothing takes God by surprise. In other words, you don't hear this in heaven. Oh, I didn't realize she was going to do that. No. So when we, when we come to prayer as God's children, we should follow the models in, of prayer. Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we ought, to, we ought to praise him. We ought to acknowledge him. And then we ought to thank him. We ought to acknowledge all that he does for us. And then we can simply say, I'm lifting up so and so who is struggling. And I know, Lord, that you know what's going on in her life or his life. I certainly don't know everything that's going on in that person's life, but you do. And I pray for your, your mercy in their life. And their comfort, your comfort in their life. Wonderful promises. The Lord gives us wonderful, wonderful promises both to the church in Pergamum as well as to, to Thyatira and to the churches and the Christians of all ages. Notice, hidden manna. He said he would give them the hidden manna. Well, well, what is manna? You'll recall that God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna that came down out of heaven. He gave them bread from heaven. Could you imagine that? All they had to do was get up in the morning, go out, and gather but they could only gather enough for the number of people within their family. And they were not to leave anything over until the next day. The exception of that was the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath, they were to gather enough for two days so that they would not have to go out and work on the Sabbath. And as long as they did that, they could keep it overnight and it would not spoil. And it would be as fresh as it was the day that they went out and collected. But Jesus, speaking of himself, says that he is that manna that has come out of heaven. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the living word. And then it says over in, uh, in the letter to Pergamum, 
we're blending these two together, that they would be given a, a stone, a white stone with a name. And what's the significance of that? Well, in that particular city, to have access to these, to these community feasts and such, you had to be given, basically, we know it today as a ticket. Huh? A ticket. But back then they had a, a stone. See? A particular stone that would give them access into these, into these events. Well, there's coming a tremendous banquet that's going to be held one day. We call it the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen? And we're, we're going to be going to heaven one day, amen? We're going to be given access, yes? Because the Lord, he is the rock of ages. We sing that hymn. And this stone has a, has a name that only the individual knows. Only God and the individual knows that name. Perhaps that name will say something about your character. I wonder. Take a moment and think. What would, what would the name be on your stone? He tells them that he's not going to give them any, any other burden. In other words, the burden that they're carrying is, is enough. Now that's it. That's a tremendous encouragement. What would it be like for you to hear the Lord say, you will never be ill again. All of your aches and your pains, all that you've suffered thus far, you'll not have to suffer anymore. Wouldn't that be a relief? Tremendous relief. And then he says, I'm going to give them authority. Now he quotes from Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is, is considered a messianic psalm. It's referring to the rule, the authority that God the Father gives to the Son. Now, you may not like this term, but when Jesus comes and establishes his millennial kingdom, Jesus will be a dictator. You say, well, because it, it has a negative connotation. Right? There will only be room for one ruler. That is the Lord Jesus. However, the Bible teaches that we will rule and reign together with him under his leadership. But here again, it's where it's so important to study the Greek because the word that's actually used there for, for this idea of, of, of ruling it's the word that's used for shepherd. It means to pastor. It means to shepherd. See, it's the word poimen, which means shepherd. Because the pastor is supposed to be a shepherd. We don't, we don't you know, whip people into shape with a whip, right? But we're, rather, we're to encourage. We're to hold accountable, but, we're, but yet we're supposed to do it in a loving way. In other words, the church, those who, who serve the Lord faithfully, he is going to reward, and they, together with him, will rule the nations of the world. And we know that during the millennial age, that we are going to have a responsibility in the Lord's kingdom. And the position that we have is dependent upon the kind of life that we live today. That's part of the reward. 
in his parables, Jesus even said, to some he's going to give 10 cities, to some 50 cities, and some 100 cities, and maybe some 1,000 cities, etc. But he says right here, but we will, we will rule together with them, with him, in the millennial age. And he says he's going to give them the morning star. Now, now what is the morning star and who is it? Well, over in Numbers, the Messiah is referred to as, as a star. And here in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the bright and morning star. And I have the, the reference there for you, Revelation chapter 22. He gives us himself. But it, it may also refer to the dawning, you know, that first star at, at dawn. And there's a dawn that is coming. When God brings his will and his plan to fruition, there is coming a time when Jesus will return. And will you be ready when he does? Now notice that the message isn't just for Thyatira or Pergamum or these seven churches. The message is for all churches of all time. So what do we learn? from these passages here. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps watch over his church and is fully aware of where each church is located and the ministry that it is involved in. Jesus is aware there is nothing that can be hidden from the Lord. I was mentioning at our business meeting, you know, we usually have um, what I would refer to as um, non-eventful uh, business meetings. They're very calm for the most part. Very, very calm and uh, uh, peaceful. But you go to some churches when they're having their business meetings, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Okay. Seriously. And, um, you know, they, churches have split over the color of carpet to be put in the, in the sanctuary. Or the color of the walls that, that are going to be painted, or the color of the church. My goodness. You know that all that stuff is unimportant? It really, it is unimportant. What really is the purpose for paint? It's to preserve the wood. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to make it look lovely, etc., etc. But is it any reason for a church to split? No, absolutely not. The, the Lord keeps watch over the church. And then, B, we, that is us, the church, and as individual Christians, are to uphold, to teach, and proclaim correct biblical doctrine. We're to teach and to preach accurately. And we've said many times before, you know, you read something, you say, well, I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I, that I really, you know, uh, uh, agree with that. And I, I'm not sure that, that, that I, I can accept that. I, I, I kind of feel, you know, I, I, I don't know quite how I feel about this. 
Well, you better pray and ask God to change your heart. <laughs> and I've had people tell me, well, I don't read certain portions of Scripture. And you say, well, well, why? Well, because they're too negative. <laughs> and what do you mean they're too negative? Yeah, they're too negative. And so I don't read those portions. And so well, the, the, the Bible is the most positive book that was ever written. And those, those negatives are in there to teach you, to instruct you, and to protect you, and to warn you, and to keep you from, from falling into all of those things that it says don't do. Because all of those things bring tragedy. Tragedy. One of the, one of the privileges that I had when I was a principal was I, I, I would be invited to go and speak at different schools. It really was a, an, an, often an open door of opportunity that, that was given to me. I was invited to both to speak and to sing, because they would they'd ask me to come and to sing the, uh, you know, the national anthem or God Bless America, and then to speak to the kids. And I always had the same message. It's the same message. Because it had to do with, with drugs. It was the D.A.R.E. program. And the first thing I would say was the D represented dreams, dreams, dreams. And I would encourage them to dream big dreams. And you know what? We as God's children should dream big dreams. But make no mistake about it, if you give your life to sin, to drugs, to the abuse of, of alcohol or anything else, instead of living a dream, you're going to end up living a nightmare. The A stands for achievement. Achievement comes by hard work. Hard work, yes, but, but working smartly as well. You want to earn A's in school, I would tell the kids, then you need to, to study. You want to be a wise Christian, then you need to study God's holy word. The R was for respect. Oh, my goodness. And I would say, respect your parents. Respect your parents. Until the day you die, you respect them. And respect your teachers. For they've invested their lives in your lives. Respect your country and obey its laws. Even the ones that you, that you disagree with, so long as they don't violate God's holy word. For if they violate God's word, you hold fast and respect God's word. And the fourth one, E for excellence. Be a person of excellence. Choose to be a person of excellence in the way that you dress, in the way that you interact with people, in the quality of the work that you do. Be a person of excellence. Don't be satisfied with mediocrity. And that is what has happened to our country. It has become disrespectful. It's a living a nightmare. Because it's become filled with immorality and sin and false doctrine and philosophy all across the country. And instead of achievement through hard work, everybody wants to stay home with the handout like this. And the government 
is making them possible. We are and will be judged by God's truth, His Word, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. Judgment is coming. Oh, everyone likes to read those portions in the Scripture that are just so nice and so encouraging, you know, and, and all that. Huh? They want nothing to do with judgment. They want nothing to do with being held accountable. Oh, boy, I enjoyed it when my father would say, Here, get me some money to run to the market and get, get some ice cream and some soda pop. And, and we would sit down and talk. But, oh, boy, when I did something wrong and he was tearing my backside up, that wasn't very pleasant. And there was no doubt in my mind that I had been spanked. All right? We're to live according to God's standard of morality. Not the world's standard of morality. Don't be one of those Christians who says, well, it's okay. It's illegal now. No. Pray for God to change that. Pray for that to be changed. You know, they do change laws. They do change laws. And you know what gets me? Is how hypocritical both the politicians and the, and the country is. Because then when the Supreme Court it comes down and they make a ruling that is consistent with the Constitution, if one side doesn't like the ruling, then they say, whoa, they've abused their power. And yet when you look at the actual Constitution, when you look at the actual Constitution and what it says about certain things, you come to find out, oh, they actually made the right decision. But then there are some cases in which they made the wrong and those are to be righted. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows. He strengthens and he rewards his servants. The day is coming when God is going to reward us. And all this is going to be over with. And righteousness will rule forever. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart, your life, to the Lord Jesus. That last statement down there. Give your heart, your life, your past your present and your future to the Lord Jesus Christ today to be forgiven, restored, and saved. God promises his paradise for those who love him. You say, well, you don't know my life. Well, guess what? God does. And here's the wonderful and amazing thing. That's why we sing that song, Amazing Grace. He loves you in spite of you. Now there was this, this man, his mother was a, a devout Christian. Devout Christian, but he was a slave trader. His name was John Newton. And he was from England. And his mother would pray for him and share the gospel with him. But no, he, he, he didn't have time for that. That wasn't important to him. He was making money, trading slaves. And then one day, while he was on a ship, he got word that his mother had died. She had gone to heaven. And like a baby, he wept. He wept and wept for his mother. But in that moment, he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a saint. He became a Christian. 
He became a Christian. And he wrote this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Let's stand, please. You give your heart, you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today. No matter what you've done with your life, no matter where you've been or what you thought, God loves you and he gave his son for you. You come and give your heart, your life to him. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.